This episode contains depictions of violence that some may find triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. so excited it's october i know it's october technically now it's spooky month even though last month was spooktember it you know prelude to a spook um yeah i mean i've been definitely celebrating the spooky season since september um with my horror movie marathons but it's always exciting once it's october because it's like the world catches up with me yes (laughs) right absolutely (laughs) What kind of movies have you been watching? Oh, gosh. Um, The very first horror flick that I kicked things off with, because I feel like we were talking about it after the Ouija episode, and I'm like, I really feel Mm -hmm. like watching it. I watched The Exorcist. Nice. And I literally signed up for a subscription to HBO Max simply to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) There's other good stuff on there. There is. I was going to cancel it um, after the first month, uh, but then... Gavin really loves South Park. <laughs> I mean, I love watching it. I love I love South Park too. But um yeah, I mean, I'm like I think South Park is on Hulu, but maybe they have the newer stuff on HBO Max. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we just decided to keep it as, you know. Oh yeah, I have as a family. Um, <laughs> I have HBO but not HBO Max, and I do know there's a slight difference, but yeah, it's There's like, so many good movies. Yeah, it's like the HBO Max also has like the Criterion movie collection. Oh, so I need that. And some extra shows, like third party right. affiliate shows or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm like, you know, HBO and HBO Max, they're exactly the same price, which is funny. And I was looking right. into it because I'm like, oh, is HBO Max more expensive? No, it's the same. It's the same amount. Um. So I'm like, well, you know, fuck it. I'll get, let's max it out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll HBO to the max. (laughs) Um, Have you watched Dr. Sleep? I have not. Have you watched The Shining? Yes, of course. Okay. When you are able to, you should, um, Dr. Sleep should be on there because it's on the other HBO. It's really good. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I am um yeah, I've been I've been excited to watch the movies. What other stuff have I been watching? Um I watched Insidious, um, mm-hmm. Sinister. Nice. Sinister two is on my watch list. I haven't gotten to that yet. The Invitation. Oh, did you like that? I did. Actually. I was it's kind yeah. of a slow burn. Yeah. But I kind of dig the ones that are slow burns but still anxiety inducing oh yeah you lose me when it's a slow burn and boring you know yeah they kept having me guessing Mm -hmm. great ending amazing i loved it um very uh yeah it was surprising i thought it would be like i don't know those kinds of movies sometimes can be like a little disappointing but i was very pleasantly surprised and then i later went on to rotten tomatoes and saw that it was actually rated really well so i'm like cool cool it's not just me (laughs) i think it's good (laughs) But um, yeah, a few others. Um, and then I started watching Nurse Ratchet on Netflix too. What do you think of that so far? I've only gotten through the first two episodes. 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting so far. Yeah. But I think I might take a break and actually watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because I haven't oh. seen it. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, you know, they make it where I think you can watch it without having seen that. But I'm like, I really 100%. want to understand understand the the background more. So, yeah. Well, if you yeah. need a break and watch some, want to watch something funny, Graham and I just watched one last night that I like found absolutely hilarious but it's i guess it's like a, a horror comedy mm-hmm. and it's on i think we watched it on amazon prime and it's called deathgasm Ooh, <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> very gory i love it, it involves demons it's hilarious ah, cool yeah cool um yeah one of my favorite like ones to watch on halloween i actually have the dvd of it um is what we do in the shadows. <laughs> oh my god, I love that movie. It's so funny. It's so good. I haven't seen I know they turned it into a show. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the show, but if you watch the show too. and you have not seen the movie, watch the fucking movie. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> oh man. It's perfect. Um, yeah, I feel like I watched recently a super Corey. Oh, of course, um, the babysitter and the babysitter too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you like those? I liked the first one better than the second. I mm-hmm. thought they were like really leaning into their um, uh, into the aesthetic or the ridiculousness of it in the second one. Yeah, you know, I feel like the first one was still like um, on the nose, and you know, it's still like it's like one of those like. Um, you know, like Evil Dead, like a B film that they yeah. they know they're a B film. They're having fun with it. The first one was, I think, pretty good, and then the second one, I feel like they leaned into some stylizations a little more than I appreciated. But it was still a fun watch. Yeah, I I feel the same. Though I I think I really I liked that. I liked having a different feel to it. I think for me, just because I do love horror films. But sometimes when you get into horror, it's like you get the same feeling time after mm-hmm. time after time. And sometimes I want something slightly different. Sure. Um, and so if you can make something like horror and gory, but then funny and just like bonkers, I'm for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of the babysitter, a couple weeks ago, uh, Gavin and I had a movie night. Um. And with Marie and Darren, they showed us, um, oh, my God, what was the name of it? It's with the girl from The Babysitter. Uh, oh, Ready or Not? Ready or Not. That one's I good. loved that one so <laughs> much. That was so good. I watched that um, at work because one of the other girls had watched it and I hadn't seen it yet. And uh, it was one of those, like, I kept taking little breaks, obviously, because I'm at work. I had to. But it was mm-hmm. also, like, just... I'm hoping for a particular ending, and I hope it gets there. <laughs> and I yeah. liked it. It was a good ending. It was really good. Um, and the uh, the protagonist, she's like such a badass through it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was really, really great. And also, that one's also on HBO Max for those who want to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, October. So, should we tell everyone like how we're kind of doing our episodes because it's October? Wait, so the one we're recording today is the first true crime, though, yes. right? True crime paranormal. Yes. Okay, 
thank God. I'm like, I have not prepared my notes for anything else. So prepare to be disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's an episode on how well you can bullshit. Awesome. Perfect. Pulling this one (laughs) out of my ass. (laughs) No, I'm excited to um, get to my true crime one. Like the excellent student that I am, um, I decided to switch the case that I was going to present today this morning Mm -hmm. and spent this morning starting from (laughs) i don't know i just didn't like resonate with the first case that i chose Uh um i don't know but what i mean by resonating but i wasn't like like wow yeah like i'm not gonna have passion like talking about this one so i'm doing i did a different one i started oh i started my project all over again this morning before school (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to be that fucking student that gets an A-plus anyway. I was, actually. <laughs> I, I gave my parents such a fucking headache. I would always pick the toughest subjects, like the most obscure things. Like in eighth grade, we had a, we had a renaissance unit and we had to just do a, some sort of presentation, like project on some sort of aspect of the renaissance. And of all fucking things, I choose to research renaissance, renaissance fashion. <laughs> And there's info about Renaissance fashion, but to yeah. milk it in a way where it was a five-page essay <laughs> in eighth grade, plus um, like physical demonstrations on my trifold cardboard yep. display thing, my poor mother. She, yeah, <laughs> time and time again, I always did that to them. But um, well, anywho, I think that sounds fantastic, and I'm excited. Um, I kind of sidetracked you though from us like announcing what we're doing for October. Oh yeah, what we're doing for October. <laughs> you you tell it because you probably have a better grip on it than I do. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, well, it's it's spooky month, so we wanted to stick with the spooky theme. Um so everything is Halloween themed. <laughs> Give us a moment to refer to our notes that we wrote about a month ago. <laughs> We're covering um, today. I think it's a. Well, I don't know what you're covering today. You're surprising me well, now. This and is it's our exciting episode, which I think is very fitting for our first October episode. Oh yes. Um, I have true crime. You have paranormal. Yep. Um, it'll be October spooky themed. This is coming out the seventh, I believe. Yeah. Yes. And then after that, we are going in deep with uh, the Salem Witch Trials. Yes. From a true crime and paranormal perspective. Right. So. um, You're hearing things. I can tell. (laughs) What are you hearing? Does anyone else hear the whistling going on? I kind of, but I hear noises all the time. Okay. Sometimes I think there's a ghost that lives on the other side of this mattress that's propped up in my garage, and I kind of just want to be like, I hear you. Um, anywho, I think the whistling has subsided, thank God. They know we're talking about them, so. Oh, yeah, so, okay. So we're doing spooky now, and then yep. we're, uh, we're going to do... Another spooky. Another spooky. I mean, let's be real, though. All of it's kind of spooky, but... Right, we're going to be focusing spooky. on... Salem Witch Trials, and in that episode, we'll do um, both the 
crime act aspect of like mm-hmm. the actual witch trials and then the paranormal aspect of the hauntings thereafter. Yes. Which will be fun. And then after that, um, we are we kind of divided. Instead of like both of us researching for a single episode, um, we each get our own. Yeah. Which I think is going to be kind of fun. So first, I will be covering history of Halloween and Samhain. So, yes. And then following that, I'll be covering Dia de los Muertos. Yes. I'm so excited. I so don't are, know that yeah. much. So. I'm stoked to welcome you into the world of Dia de los Muertos. I love it. It's, I think it's such a beautiful event. And um, yeah, I'll be going through kind of just uh, ways that um you can take part in Dia de los Muertos without culturally appropriating of course cuz it yes. is uh you know originally a Mesoamerican thing so even I I didn't grow up with Dia de los Muertos um cuz I am a Caribbean Latin right um so but I'll still be going through the history cuz it's a very prevalent part of our culture just here in California obviously we have mm-hmm. a ton of Mexican and just generally Mesoamerican um immigrants or descendants here right so that's huge and i think that it's also just like a world known thing um and yes uh an unnamed pixar movie will definitely come up in conversation (laughs) (laughs) you're kidding (laughs) (laughs) i'm excited though because i the what the the little amount that i know I do see how it connects to Halloween and why people kind of conflate some mm-hmm. aspects of both. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to kind of separate, but then also. I think it's going to be interesting to see um, after you explain Samhain, how it relates so similarly to Dia de los Muertos as well. Right. So yeah. That's going to be cool. It's going to be fun. But today. So, yeah, we're going to be. Um, so this month's format will be a little different. But um, I'm, I hope you guys will bear with us. I think we are, we've designed a pretty good program for October. We're yeah. pretty excited. And um, by I think we've designed it well. I haven't researched anything yet, but I promise you that I will <laughs> do it well. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get into it? Yeah. Should I start Sorry. with true crime? Yes. All right. I'm excited to see what you're covering. Yes. I. Oh, my gosh. This is an intense one for this episode i really wanted to obviously because it's october we're ramping up to halloween i wanted to do crimes that occurred on halloween night mm-hmm. and um i started with one i might cover that one later on in the podcast maybe next year i'll do it um mm-hmm. uh f- f- try to find some some interest in it this time around um <laughs> But then I I stumbled upon this one as well. And, you know, I just like looked up, you know, like ranker lists of like top, you know, most horrific uh, true crime stories that happened on Halloween. And this Uh one was one that came up. So it was in the back of my mind. Um, And I did not even know when I started when I decided to dedicate my time to this one that it happened in Napa. Oh, you might know what? what you might remember what it is because it did not happen that long ago. Okay. Oh. So I mean, not like super, super recent, but like 16 years ago, it happened. Okay. 
Um, so this is the murders of Leslie Mazzara and Adrian Insonia. So it's late on Halloween night in 2004 in Napa, California. Roommates 25-year-old Leslie Mazzara and 26-year-old Adrian Insonia go to bed after handing out, handing out candy to the children in their neighborhood. So there's a third roommate in this house as well, 26-year-old Lauren Minza. Um, she a killer? She's, no. She slept... <laughs> I shouldn't ask. <laughs> <laughs> You'll just have to wait. Um, <laughs> no, uh, this poor girl. So she slept... The, the setup of this house is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leslie and Adrian slept in the two bedrooms upstairs. Lauren slept in the bedroom on the ground floor of the home. Okay. So it's Halloween night. She's in bed. And around 2 a.m., she's woken up by her dog. And her dog sleeps with her in her room, and uh, the dog starts growling. Um, at first, Lauren's just, like, hearing strange noises. And I guess a few nights ago on October 28th, Leslie had brought back a boy home. And they mm-hmm. kept the other two roommates up with their <laughs> lovemaking. Um, after which, the roommates had a discussion, like, if that was going to be tolerated or not. They decided, yes, that's fine. Like, they're in their mid-20s. It's bound to happen. Like, if you... Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um... I'm not sure if this was like a one night stand or Leslie's like if he ha- if she had a boyfriend at the time. Anyways, it was the first time that she had had a boy over. They decided it was okay. So Lauren's hearing these strange noises on Halloween night outside her door. And she assumes like, oh, like Leslie's fooling around with her boyfriend again. So after drifting back to sleep, she's woken up again by hearing a blood curdling scream and cries oh, for help. No. When she came out of her room... She sees this man in the darkness. He's just like flying down the stairs. He's bumping and breaking into things on his way out. And he jumps through an open window on the ground floor. Um, unfortunately, she didn't get a good look on his uh, on his face mm-hmm. or of his face. Excuse me. She kind of fucking freaks out. So well, yeah. um, she, you know, kind of fight or flight. Her response was flight. She runs out through the back door to the backyard. And is like freaking out. She realizes like, I have nowhere to go. I'm in the backyard fenced in. Like, do I jump over to a neighbor's fence? But she's like, well, the guy is gone. And she kind of hides in the bushes or something and waits mm-hmm. to see if maybe there's like a second assailant or something. Right. The house is quiet for a few minutes and she hears the pleas for help from her roommates upstairs. Oh, so God. she decides to brave it and go upstairs and see what occurred. Um, this is so sad. Uh, so she goes upstairs and she finds both Leslie and Adrian stabbed repeatedly. Uh, Leslie was unresponsive in her room and Adrian in her room, she was still alive, but was bleeding profusely. And so Lauren, she's like, she's got to go get her cell phone. It's 2004. So they have cell phones. Thank God. Right. Uh, to call 911, and she remembers there was so much blood on the floor that she slipped several times on the way to get the <gasps> phone. Um, the way that she describes it is like stepping into a horror film. Right. That's like, that was her first yeah. thought when she saw that. she was, it, There was so much blood. Um, officers arrived on scene to find both roommates dead. 
and homicide detective Todd Shulman remembers the night as, quote, the most bloody crime scene I've seen in my career, unquote. So the victims, uh, Leslie um, Mazzara, was a former beauty queen from South Carolina who worked in the sales department at the former um, Nibom Coppola Winery. I don't know if you remember, okay. but the Coppola Winery used to be in Napa. It's now in Geyserville over in Sonoma right. County. Um, but the building that the Napa Coppola Winery used to be that is now the Rubicon Estate Winery. So if you're local to the Napa area or to the wine country area here, the Rubicon Estate Winery is where she used to work. But it was the Coppola Winery then, yada yada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second vic- victim, Adrian and Sonia, was um, a civil engineer for the Napa Sanitation Department. Okay. Yeah. Um, after analyzing the crime scene, investigators determined that the assailant had gone into the house, up the stairs, and into Leslie's bedroom first, where he attacked her. And it's not clear whether Leslie was, like, the intended target, like, why he chose to attack her first, mm-hmm. because her room was the closest door to the top of the stairs, so it might have been just, like, um, order of opportunity. Right. Um, and she was probably asleep at the time of the attack and didn't have a chance to like even understand what was happening to her or defend herself so she was taken down pretty quickly um the noise of the scuffle woke up adrian across the hall in her bedroom she turned her bedroom light on and then the killer proceeded to her room and then attacked adrian um Forensic specialists determined that Adrian had reading glasses on her in her hand or on her face that the knife broke through <gasps> and that Adrian fought incredibly hard. Oh, like she put Adrian. up a real fight because she was already awake. She's like, what's going on? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And then the, the killer comes and attacks her. Mm-hmm. The blood trail led to... Um, the front ground floor where the man was seen fleeing by Lauren. Um, the only, so Lauren, the only surviving roommate reported seeing him fly out the door and it kind of confirmed cause they saw these bloody fingerprints, um, on the blinds of the window and also outside right. of the wall. So he definitely like fleed that way. I saw photos of like the, you can tell like the blinds are all like, Wah, you know, yeah. you know, just yeah. ran through. Um, and the blood continued onto the aluminum siding on the outside of the house. Investigators found three cigarette butts. There were two at the front of the house, and then there was one in the backyard. Both blood and cigarette butts were collected for analysis. They're so... They, like, cut out and brought back all the... Every single thing that had blood on it in that house. Oh, and wow. they brought in 71 pieces of evidence to analyze. So um, in the forensic files episode of this case, um, uh, Amy Rojas, which is one of the DNA experts that was on the case, was interviewed. And she said that, quote, one or two is average, up to four or five possibly. This particular case really surpassed most of what we see in the laboratory, unquote. So it was just... Wow. An, a huge amount of evidence, which is great because really like you'll see like these people had trouble in this investigation. They really had to lean into the forensics of the, the murder scene. Right. 
So on the morning of November 1st, 2004, the community of Napa County awoke to the news of this horrible crime and the possibility that a serial killer was at large and still roaming the valley in search of their next victims. Like, they just had no idea, like... Right. Were these women targeted by someone they knew? Was it a serial killer? What? Yeah, like, they knew nothing. What exactly? Um, so they really wanted to find a motive to really determine what kind of perpetrator they were looking for. Um, they found a bundle of black zip ties inside the home, like right under the window where the killer fled through. Oh, okay. And it seemed to investigator that the killer's original plan was to bind the girls up or perhaps to kidnap one of them or both mm-hmm. of them. And that something happened and he just decided to just straight up murder them. Yeah. But nonetheless, they were kind of unsure at this point. Lauren Mienza, Mienza um, the surviving roommate, said she had no idea why this would happen or why her roommates might have been targeted. Nothing was like, nothing was stolen in the home, and Lauren didn't think that either victim had any enemies that she knew of. Oh, I hear your tone. <laughs> <laughs> it's a clue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> as they dug deeper into the lives of the two women, so they discovered that Leslie was being harassed by the father of one of her ex-boyfriends. So before she moved out to California, she went out with this guy. I guess it was a pretty serious, like, full-time relationship with this guy in South Carolina. And then she broke things off to be out in California. Um, I don't know why the father took it, you know, under his, what does it say, like, purview to, like, try to get these kids back together or if he was obsessed with her. I, I don't know. I couldn't find out a lot of details about that. But they found that the man's father continued to call her even after she moved away and she had received several calls from him on both the home phone number and her cell phone on the very night of the murders. Was he like, I mean, obviously he was obsessed with her in some way, but like. I guess. Is it possible she had a relationship with him at some point? Maybe. Who knows? Um, no shame. Just wondering. Yeah, that could definitely be the dynamic. Um, I'm not sure. But they were in South Carolina, both the the ex-boyfriend and the father, Mm -hmm. thousands of miles away with witnesses confirming their whereabouts. So it wasn't them. It was odd, but it wasn't them. Another potential suspect was a handyman who was in the home on the day of Halloween working on, you know, fixing up something. But he also had an alibi. Um, police were struggling to find a solid sub- suspect, and they actually interviewed, like, over 200 potential suspects. Oh, wow. And they just kept coming up with nothing. Um, it was, it was very frustrating, both on the families of the victims and just, like, the community in general. Like, everyone was, like, living in terror. Yeah. Because, I mean, especially back in the early 2000s, Napa was such a sleepy, like, homey town and area. Right. Not that it's, like, super dangerous right now, but it, um, you know. It was just kind of like, I feel like after the the millennium, things kind of just started ramping up with crime or something. But anyways, people were just very, like, shocked. Um, yeah. They wanted to know who it was that killed these two young women. Um, so two weeks have passed at this point. They haven't come up with any solid suspects at all. Um, they haven't gained any important insight from interviews. And so they're like, you know, maybe this killer just absolutely just fled the whole area of Napa. Like, he's just nowhere around. So, yeah. So, two weeks have passed. They haven't made a lot of progress. Um, or even to understand why the murders happened in the first place. So, loved ones organized a candlelight vigil to keep attention on the case. 
And then after a few months, investigators finally got a break. Oh, so yay. let me say, as I've been doing research on these true crime cases, I've realized just how quickly DNA testing has progressed in just the last 20 to 30 years. It is really oh, yeah. astounding. It is truly astounding. I just remember when I did the Donna Gentili case that mm-hmm. like blood DNA testing wasn't even a thing. Right. Like because she was recent. she was murdered in like the the mid eighties, mm-hmm. and then even in like it wasn't until the nineties that they actually developed like wow we can like match DNA per with blood right what um so uh they got a break the DNA testing found evidence at the crime scene that blood found on the outside wall of the house that wasn't from either Leslie or Adrian ooh. The test revealed an X and Y chromosome in the sample, so they knew that they were dealing with male blood. Right. They thought the knife probably slipped in the killer's hand during the violent attacks, cutting himself, and then he, like, leaned on the walls yeah. bloody with his bloodied hand and left behind his blood. Um, and the DNA in the blood also matched the DNA found on the two cigarette butts found on the front of the house. Okay, so it's him. So it's him. Whoever he is. Mm-hmm. They found DNA matches on the skin cells that were on the rubber band that held together the bundle of zip ties as well. So it's like, all right, we got, we're, we're like kind of trailing this guy. Like we, it's all, it's all matching. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, once they entered the DNA information into CODIS, which again, if you like don't know, it's like the huge database where everyone's DNA and fingerprints are like put into to see, but it, that's only useful if they're a past offender. Right. Right. Um, so nothing came up. And this obviously deeply concerned police um, as it suggested that they were dealing with a serial killer that had successfully eluded police. So they're like, wow, we're like, we have this forensic information, but we have nothing to match it to. <laughs> um, they went back to the cigarette butts to try to gather as much information as they could. And they were actually able to determine that the cigarettes were camel Turkish gold, oh, which go at the then. time was a relatively new product that had only been on the market for a very short time. So um, they were so new that not even every store even carried them or a lot of people even really much knew about them. The stores that did carry them in the area reported that they only sold about like one or two packs a week. Oh, okay. So not a very this popular one. It's really going to, like, help to, like, target in, like, circle in on who this killer is. Um, So they know that he's a smoker, that he buys this particular brand and type of cigarettes. Um, And looking for a solid lead on the killer still kind of proved difficult, though. So the community came together with a $100,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the killer. Um, And this is pretty cool because... Enter this forensic innovation that so many now know within the consumer market. At this point, investigators turned to Dr. Tony Frudakis, who developed a new forensic technique that could determine the killer's physical characteristics. This guy is pretty much the pioneer in ancestry DNA testing. Uh Huh. Yeah. Like, this is the guy that, you know, thanks, you know, thanks to him, you guys can have your... 23andMe and your Ancestry.com tests and all of that. Right. The reason why we caught the Golden State Killer, thanks to him, truly. He was the one that 
uh, created this new innovation. He was able to determine the killer was primarily of Northwestern European ancestry, very little Southeastern European ancestry, and no Middle Eastern or South Asian markers. So we're dealing with a white guy. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Dr. Frudakis also found a marker in the DNA samples that the killer had either blue or green eyes and most likely had light colored hair. Uh, The police immediately went to the media to circulate all the information they had gathered on the killer, that he was a smoker, um, the pack of cigarettes that he liked to smoke, and this physical description. Um, So now we really get much closer to getting close, like much closer to, to catching this killer. Right. Investigators ag- against turned back to um, Lauren, the surviving roommate, asking her for a list of everyone she knew who smoked cigarettes, hoping that one of them could be the killer. And now with this new DNA information to see if anyone on her list also matched the description, the physical description they were looking for. And she's like, oh, well, the only smoker I can think of at this point is Eric Koppel. Or Koppel. I think it's Koppel. Eric Koppel. 25-year-old Eric Koppel was a land surveyor and a friend of Adrian and Sonia. Okay. But before police could question him, Koppel walked into the Napa police headquarters, accompanied by his wife and some other family members, and confessed. His he wife? See- yeah. Oh, that, that's an interesting note that we'll circle back to later. Okay. Um, he had been seeing on the media, like, all these details coming out about the killer. And he's like, wow, DNA testing has progressed much more than I thought it has. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, it's like about, it's, uh, it's bound, like, they're bound to find me. So, you know, he figured, thank God, he just, like, turned himself in. Good. Um. So during an interrogation, police were careful not to release any information on the crime scene that hadn't already been released to the press to make sure that they actually had their guy. Right. Um, And good thing, because Eric Koppel's answers to their questions matched up exactly what police knew about the crime scene. So they had their guy. But even though Koppel confessed, he wouldn't tell them why he did it right away. It was kind of a mystery for a okay. while, especially since he was like a friend of Adrian. Right. He claimed he didn't know what he did with the murder weapon, which obviously kind of suggests that, like there's something that he's hiding about the truth of what happened and why. Yeah. Like we, we know how he killed them, obviously, but kind of like the story behind. Right. Uh, DNA tests confirmed that Eric Koppel's blood was indeed at the crime scene. So he, it matched the saliva on the cigarette butts and his skin cells on the rubber band and the obviously the blood in the house and so thus Koppel was arrested and charged with two counts of first degree murder but police still wanted to understand why these murders happened because it was just like it seemed like such a senseless crime yeah so they dug deeper into Eric Koppel's behavior leading up to the murders investigators later learned that Koppel blamed Adrian and Sonia for the breakup of his engagement to Adrian's best friend, Lily Prudhomme. Adrian told Lily that she could, like, you can do better. Like, you shouldn't be involved with Eric Koppel. Like, I don't think he's the one for you. Like, something's just not right about him. Clearly. And on the night of the... (laughs) Clearly, yeah. (laughs) Foreshadowing much. Um, On the night of the murders at a Halloween party, Koppel ran into his ex-fiancee, Lily Prudhomme, 
Ironically, their original wedding date was supposed to be the next day, November 1st, 2004. So he's like, he runs into her at this party. Like, obviously, they have a lot of mutual friends. He's married. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well. Yeah. Okay, okay. When when he That's yes right. when he he was married when he goes in to confess but yeah. he's not married at this point the night of the murders. Right. Okay. Um. So according to witnesses, the two argued and couple wanted to set a new date for their wedding, like trying to convince Lily like hey like let's get back together like I miss you like let's just like get back on the engagement. Lily completely rejected him. He, she's like it's over. Like it's over. Get a hint. Like, please leave me alone for the rest of the night. Yeah. And Koppel was obviously, like, embarrassed, upset. He was also drunk. And so he just stormed out of the party and he returned home. Um, and he admitted that that fight with his ex-fiance only added to the anger he already felt towards Adrian. Because he knew that Adrian was not the reason. Like, dude, it just... You guys weren't right for each other, like... Yeah. But she encouraged Lily to break off the engagement with him. So he decided, obviously, to take his revenge. He Death. went to the home... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, truly. Eye for a fucking arm, much. Right. <laughs> eye for uh, death. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, he went to the home of the roommate's... Um, probably like casing the place while smoking, hence the cigarette butts found outside the home. Um, he used a knife that would be the murder weapon to pry open the front window. And he, on his way, like, you know, sneaking into the home through the window, he accidentally dropped the bundle of zip ties on the floor with his DNA. Leslie's room was the first door at the top of the stairs, so he attacked her, probably realizing after he had already begun stabbing her that she wasn't Adrian. Mm-hmm. So he went across the hall to Adrian's room. She fought back aggressively. At some point, he cut his hand and bled profusely as he rushed out of the house, and he never revealed exactly why he spared Lauren Minza, probably because he didn't know there was a third bedroom on the ground floor. Yeah. Because that's kind of, you know, not the most common configuration. I know there's some homes oh, yeah. like that, but... I, I lived in a house like that at one point. Mm-hmm. I was on the bottom. Yeah, um, yeah you would have been spared. Um, <laughs> cool. Yeah, it was honestly just like... <laughs> it was honestly just like luck. Uh, but, yeah. man, it just sucks. Um, he told police that after he fled, he took his clothes that had obviously like all the blood on them, and he burned them in a fire pit that he had in his backyard... He went back to sleep and the next day went to Lily's house to console her after Lily called him to tell him Adrian had been killed. Fucker. A few months before he confessed, Eric Koppel patched things up with Willie Poudrome and the two got married. No. It gets, it gets worse. Um, the couple asked Arlene Allen, who is Adrian's mother, to be part of the wedding ceremony. Arlene attended the wedding with her daughter um, uh, and Adrian's sister, Lexi, as her plus one. And they played the song She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5, which was Adrian's favorite song in her honor. Um, Adrian, or sorry, not Adrian. um, Her mother, Arlene, is quoted saying, quote, You are the man who is so cruel as to invite me, the mother of the woman you murdered, to stand up for you at your wedding, 
to read scripture to you of love and death and to bless your union, unquote. Uh, Lily Pudrome claims that she never, ever suspected Eric was the killer. Fuck. Yeah. So in a trial that started in December 2006, Eric Koppel pleaded guilty to two counts of first degree murder. Both the mothers of Leslie and Adrian addressed the court in a final statement. Arlene, Adrian's mother, recounted that her daughter never wore turtlenecks her entire life, but she had to be buried in one to cover the wounds that Koppel left on her body. Leslie's mother wrote a 13-page letter and read that out loud as her statement. During both statements, Koppel did not make eye contact with either mother. Fucker. <laughs> Asshole. Yeah. He sucks. He more than sucks. Yeah. Um, after the mother spoke, Koppel's wife, Lily, took the stand. She admitted grieving. Okay, this is where I'm, like, so upset with Lily. So she admits grieving with Adrian's mother, but said she knew a gentler Eric than the Eric that murdered her best friend. Girl, they're the same one. Yeah. Like, I understand that's, like, maybe her coping mechanism to, like, separate the man that yeah. she loves with, you know, the reality of the situation. And but she like even went on to publicly like proclaim her support for her husband. And she's like she's quoted saying like nothing in this world that you could do. What was oh nothing in this world that you could do. I cannot read. OK, <laughs> she went and said, <laughs> quote, there was nothing in this world that you could do that would make me love you less. Okay, so which, they probably had some sort of abusive dynamic, which is honestly, probably why yeah. they broke up in the first place and why truly their friend was like, you can do better than him. I know. I, I really suspect like she had like that kind of Stockholm syndrome kind of codependency. Just, she, codependency. I. Uh, anyways, despite the statement and proclamation of love. She did later divorce him, but she Good. did decide to keep his name. So she is oh. Lily Koppel. I know. I just, I, Lily, honey. Um, apparently Lily went off to the UK and, to get her master's and her master's thesis was like on forgiveness. Girl, I just, Fuck I'm that. sorry. People say love is unconditional. Love when it comes to marriage is absolutely conditional. <laughs> <laughs> if you murder my best friend, no, I, that's going to be a deal breaker. Yep. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's, is that so odd? <laughs> um, anywho. So in January of 2007, Eric Koppel was sentenced to life in prison without parole. Good. Had he not pled guilty, Koppel would have been eligible for the death penalty, but he's not because he went ahead and confessed and pled guilty like right off the bat. It was like a kind of open, closed, shut right. case. He was sent to San Quentin State Prison and he remains there to this day. Too rot. Fantastic. And that is my Halloween true crime story. Dang. Yeah. Trying to think. I don't remember hearing about that, but um I think I was like a senior when it happened. And then Yeah. I don't I know. Was, I was too I young better to be aware of it. In 04. About. I was in sixth grade in 04. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sixth or seventh grade. Halloween of um, 04. 
Yeah, I guess that was beginning of seventh grade then. Mm -hmm. Um, Airplanes. But, (laughs) uh, yeah, I I think I was, like, too young to be aware of what had happened. Yeah. Um, It's kind of, it kind of baffles me, though, that I never heard of it. Right. You know. There's other crimes I know of that happened around here, but, like, not that one. Weird. Right? I mean, it's only right over in Napa. It's on the other side of the... Yeah. The mountains, the hills. It's just right you there. Know, one valley. It's one valley over. <laughs> like, it's right freaking there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so... That was a very interesting one to research and... Damn. Men be having issues. Men be having issues. He probably <laughs> totally suffers... Oh, you know what? Um... Yeah, I was going to say he probably totally suffers from mental health, but I totally remember reading that he was suffering from depression mm-hmm. um, from the breakup. And I guess his like grandfather had passed as well. And he in his statement in court, he said, like, oh, I was in the middle of a horrible bout of depression. Like my grandfather passed, who was really important to me. And then I lost Lily. And I, I, I don't know if he was trying to like plead like some sort of insanity case or not. I didn't look into it, but he definitely he was definitely mentally ill. Right, but then yeah, also like so- I think the percentage but not of so much people where who it are was- depressed that go and like anger like kill. it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it's not like he was insane and didn't know what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And even like depressed people don't just go killing people. They're too sad to do that. Like yeah, making just, the decision that- to kill someone is more of an anger. When thing. I'm depressed, the biggest thing that I'll kill is like a pint of ice cream. Yeah. That's, and I'll just call it quits there. <laughs> Chocolate cake. I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just need a little ice cream in your life, Eric. I don't know. Like, fucking chill. <laughs> fucking piece of shit. Ugh. Well, I mean, that's kind of fitting talking shit about men. Oh, because great. It very much plays into Let's my patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> and really, yeah, it is patriarchy, not men in general there are plenty of good men but i do think it does speak a little bit to the idea of um uh why am i blanking toxic masculinity Ooh, i love men that don't know how i don't to... love that but i love talking about toxic masculinity yeah. because it's real yeah it they don't know how to handle their shit so they murder i mean don't get me wrong we do it not too. All. <laughs> Hashtag not all men. Hashtag sometimes women. But no, honestly. It's just look at history, guys. Like just fucking look at history. Yeah. And what happens to strong outspoken women. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I'll let you continue. Yeah, well, because I'm I'm gonna t- I'm gonna be touching on it. Well, I'm interesting to to see how this touches on paranormal, the whole patriarchy thing. So Yeah. Well, so, did I say what I'm covering? I don't, like... Uh, I don't think so. I okay. don't remember. <laughs> I'm going to cover... <laughs> Silence, please, during the presentation. <laughs> That's really more me telling my brain, like, right, it's our turn. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> um, I'm covering the lore of witches. Ooh. And like, I mean, clearly we know a thing or two about witches, but like the more stereotypical depictions of witches is what I'm like the the fairy tale description of yeah. witches. Yeah. Yes. So 
Um, and I picked it because this time of year, you see that stereotypical depiction everywhere of the green face, the green warty face, the hooked warty nose, face, mm-hmm. yes, the cackling, standing the crazy around hair. the cauldron, the those weirdly pointy, spirally shoes. <laughs> yes. All of it. And they're always shown to be inflicting toil and trouble on the masses flying around on their broomsticks. So figured this would be perfect. Mm -hmm. So the lore of witches is actually meant to represent the dark and dangerous side of women, a side that men feared contained unbridled power. Fucking men. And honestly, not to like on men because there are very intelligent men out there yes but i have yet to be in a relationship where i'm not smarter than the other guy (laughs) (laughs) gavin is very very smart very very smart i'm not calling him dumb but i don't think he's smarter than me (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like us women look at situations very differently (laughs) We do. And I think it's because of the lack of the toxic masculinity, you know? I think it's like our own, you know, academic or whatever intelligence or street smarts coupled with emotional intelligence that we were actually allowed to build and men can't. So we kind of have a leg up on them. Absolutely. I mean, and I think it's it's one of those things that some men um, feel that they can't grow that. Or that they don't have the tools to. So then I think there's like some jealousy that might come into play. Because mm-hmm. some of the men I know that are very open about like, oh yeah, I go to therapy, I deal with my emotions, shit like that. They're very well adjusted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very yeah, yeah. well adjusted. Anyway, anyway. Um, so, all right. Let me start with a little bit of history um, into, well, the history of witches. <laughs> So, <laughs> <laughs> what, like it's hard? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's argued that the idea of the witch has been around as long as humanity has tried to deal with disease and divert disaster. And with our now smart brains, we know the original, I'm going to say, quote unquote, witches um, mm-hmm. were just healers. They were women healers. Yeah, yeah totally. And in the earliest centuries of human civilization, which is when the um, were women that served goddesses and were therefore revered throughout their communities. And these were people that um, you'd know them as like the oracles, the Egyptian priestesses, the vulva, vulva, mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce that. Um, and those are just some examples of who these mm-hmm. women started out as. They made house calls, they delivered babies, they dealt with infertility, they cured impotence. No king mm-hmm. could be out without their counsel. No army could recover from a defeat without their um, ritual activity. No baby could be born without their presence. And being a vulva, I can speak a bit on their role, like theirs in particular. They traveled from town to town and would be invited to a feast in their honor, hosted by the chief Jarl King, whoever it was. Um, oh, wait, what year was this? This is like... Like what century? Um, This existed pre-Viking Age and during the Viking Age. So like so 80 ancient. to like 1200, I would say. 
okay. is where you'll see like references of mm-hmm. this at least. Right. So they would always. Well, that's nice. Everyone likes a feast in their honor. Right. And they were seated at the head of the table because it was in their honor. And when they were giving their visions and whatnot, they were seated in like the high chair of the mm-hmm. area. So they were mm-hmm. very well respected. Then we pull a 180 because, I don't know, men got jealous or something. (laughs) In all seriousness, it was also around the same time um, that Abrahamic religions really started to grow. I was going to say Christianity was what gave witches a bad rap. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) But it does kind of start. It started a little before that, too, especially when you get into the story of like Lilith. And Jewish mysticism. Oh, right. I guess, like, yeah, the uh, Judaism, for sure. That obviously yeah. predecessed That's why um, I Christianity. called it Abrahamic, just because... Yes, yes. There's some trickling sense, yes. out. It's so funny, because I have this weird, like, not a hate, obviously, but just kind of, like, um, uh, a, dis- a deep disappointment in historical Christianity. Yeah. Um, and... I often for, forget that there's also some aspects of Christianity that are adopted from Judaism. Yeah. I mean, but, every yeah, so everything kind Abrahamic. of has mm-hmm. something adopted from something else. Which, yeah. again, it's, yeah, it's sad. But, um, so the Hebrews, as we go back to the Judaism kind of mm-hmm. point, they settled in Canaan um, 1,300 years before the Common Era. Their male-centric mm-hmm. and monotheistic view of creation came along for the ride. So obeying mm. laws of the Bible, Hebrews believed witchcraft to be dangerous and prohibited it as a pagan practice. Then mm-hmm. followed the birth of Christianity and their condemnation of witches and women and so forth. Yeah. As Christianity spread through Europe, so did their fear of witches. And in the 1300s, when the plague decimated Europe... And killed. It was like thirty percent of people died. Right, one in three. It was people. like in. Oh my god! Yeah. In, that's insane. In, like we're in a pandemic now. Yeah, and so many people have died, and that's only like what one percent, two percent of people. Yeah, I forget. This was What's the percentage. I don't know. But I'm not going to cl- claim a particular statistic because I know it's very debated. But thirty per, thirty-three, I guess, percent of people. Yeah died that's a massive amount and with that massive amount there was widespread hysteria i bet which we only Mm -hmm. know like a little piece of that toilet paper (laughs) is that what you call bullshit (laughs) (laughs) toilet paper that was our hysteria (laughs) (laughs) um anyway Amid the panic of all of this, many blamed the devil himself, because who else are you going to (laughs) blame? Not hygiene, not disease, just the devil. And his... I mean, we didn't even have a concept of germs until, like, the 1880s or something like that. Yeah, not so much (laughs) later. So it was the devil, obviously, and his supporters, because he had to have supporters. Of course. Worshippers, I should say. And at this point, the Catholic Church's Inquisition which had already been established for decades, expanded its efforts mm-hmm. to seek out and punish the non-Catholic causes of the mass deaths, including devil-doting witches. Clearly. Of course. Yeah. Um, Duh. These women were believed to worship at night with their large covens, where they would do just 
absolute they would absolutely sin by having promiscuous <laughs> sex. Nondescript <laughs> sinning was occurring. Sin. <laughs> They'd have promiscuous sex. They would be dancing naked. And of course, um, they wouldn't just be eating babies. They would be feasting on them. Like, if you've seen The Witch, guys, that's pretty much oh, yeah, and I'll, a great example. I'll touch yeah. back on that, too, of cool, one of the cool. scenes from that. But, yeah, that end scene. That's what they did. Oh, it always gives me chills. I have chills as we speak yeah. of it right now. Oh, that's so beautiful. But at the end of all of this, you know, ritual they'd be having, you know, the devil would pop in and have sex with everyone. Clearly. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'll see what the big deal is. It Naturally. sounds kind of fun, but um, alas, men had to ruin the fun of these. <laughs> and the fun that wasn't actually going on. <laughs> exactly. So in 1486, um, two Catholic Church inquisitors, Jacob Springer and Henrik Kramer, wrote the Malleus Maleficarum. Ah, yes, I've Mm -hmm. heard of this. Which translated Mm -hmm. to Hammer of Witches. And it was and actually still is because um, you can get translated copies of this. It was a book that was meant to assist witch hunters with diagnosing and punishing supposed witches who, because they were women, were sexually vulnerable and therefore easy prey for the devil. Yes. Uh Their words, right? Um, So (laughs) this was a little tiny excerpt from the book. They write, What else is a woman but a foe to friendship? They are evil, lecherous, vain, and lustful. All witchcraft comes from the carnal lust which is in woman insatiable. I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, mm, it's a science, not an art. <laughs> this is exactly how you find a witch. Oh, there's they've got some details. So oh, it bet. asserts three main elements um, that are necessary for witchcraft. So the first, the evil intentions of the witch the help mm-hmm. of the devil, and then finally, the permission of God. Kind of a weird final the, thing. What? Yeah. Huh. I think that has to probably do with, like, denouncing and God being like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fine. <laughs> She's like, it's not, it's not me, it's you. I don't like you. And he's like, oh, man. <laughs> But he is not toxic. He doesn't go kill them. I know, exactly. (laughs) So those are the three elements. But then the book itself was divided into three sections. The first section was aimed at clergy and tries to refute critics who deny the reality of witchcraft, thereby hindering its prosecution. So like teaching the clergy to tell people this is for real. Bullshit 101. This thing we made up is real. (laughs) I promise. The second section describes the actual forms of witchcraft and its remedies, which I will get into. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. The third section is to assist judges confronting and combating witchcraft and to aid the inquisitors by removing the burden from them. So the inquisitors just 
sorry, judge, you can't handle this. I'm sorry. We'll we'll take over. Which allowed the church to step into a lot of um, trials, get the government out of it. So because I promise witchcraft is real, guys. Oh, my gosh. So um, they had six. I just put up three fingers for six. (laughs) Stupid. (laughs) Um, This was an elaboration on what constitutes witchcraft. So, number one, mm-hmm. a pact entered into with the devil and renouncing any sort of Christianity. Two, sexual relations with the devil. Three, aerial flight for the purpose of attending. Four. Attending what? A party? Atten- attending. A turmoil, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> attending general witchery. <laughs> number four. An assembly presided over by Satan himself at which... In- so that's like the... That's like the coven. Yeah. Um, at which initiates okay. entered into the pact and incest and promiscuous sex were engaged in by the attendees. I don't know where the incest came from. They just, I think, threw it in that there. Was, I was going to say, that's like a <laughs> curveball. You don't know if they're all related or right. not. Just they threw that in there. Um also, why don't you look at your own uh, Christian royals? <laughs> They're all having incest. It was a thing. It was like what you did. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, the practice of maleficent magic. And six, the slaughter of babies. So. Ah, that's the most important Most one. important. So the manual's descriptions would serve as a platform for men. <laughs> I mean, witch hunters. To act on their prejudices <laughs> for over 200 years. <laughs> And at the time, the Malleus Maleficarum was second to the Bible in terms of popularity. Wow. Yeah. So, a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now, there were... A medieval Times bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> there were witch hunting manuals prior to the publication of this, but this particular book was the first to associate a specific gender with witchcraft. That's how it became a bestseller. Ah, yes. So, in short of spying on a woman and seeing her fly and have sex with the devil in an orgy, how else was a man to tell if a woman was a witch? Don't worry. There's plenty of ways, guys. (laughs) This is where it gets so fun. This is, like, so... It's weird because part of this is, like, history, but, like, I still consider it paranormal because it was very... this birthed so many paranormal stories of right. witches um so way number one of telling if someone was a witch was to make a witch cake which is just lovely so a witch cake that sounds delicious it probably had cinnamon in it <laughs> not really <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little spicy depending um <laughs> In both England and New England, it was believed that whatever magic had been cast on an individual would show up in their bodily fluids. So they figured, let's... Oh, no. Let's make a cake out of rye and pee and feed it to a dog. What? Oh, yeah. The pee would come from the person suspected of being bewitched and feeding the cake to a dog would cure the victims of witchcraft since dogs were evil companions of witches. Though some sources do say that um, if the dog displayed signs of being bewitched, then it proved positive. 
So even then, there were still a couple different, like... Interpretations. But yeah, make Mm. a witch cake. No big deal. And by bewitching, do they mean, like, the dog getting sick from some sort of ingredient that's in the bread, possibly urine? Possibly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then question, how do they collect the urine without the witch knowing? So it would be pee from the person they suspected she did, like, a spell on. Oh, so, like, the victim of... Oh, not the actual witch herself. Okay. (laughs) That would be... Pee like, in this goddamn cup, you witch. <laughs> Give me your chamber pot. <laughs> Actually, that probably wouldn't have been too hard back then. Just sneak go. the chamber pot. I guess. Um, <laughs> way number two is weigh them against a stack of Bibles. So, if the the witch herself, yeah, if the suspected witch is heavier or lighter than the stack of Bibles, then clearly she's guilty of evil doing. I love how it doesn't describe how many Bibles it is. <laughs> it has to be the exact weight of a non the exact weight uh, of a non number numerical value of Bibles. Yeah. If the sca- if the scales balance out, she's in the clear. Which this uh-huh. <laughs> this reminds me. I don't know if you've seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh yeah 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 oh yeah. yeah, yeah. She's a witch. Yes. And the whole, like, where against, uh, what was it, a, a, a duck? They yes. throw her into the water. Which is actually another one. I'll get there. Yep. Um, that one was, was very accurate. Super accurate. But number three, and this was super, super common, and we'll probably cover it again in um, the Salem Witch Trial episode, is mm-hmm. you look for a witch's mark. So... Witch hunters often had their suspects stripped and publicly examined for signs of a mark that witches were said to receive upon making their pact with Satan. It's like their teat, right? Yeah. So they loved using the word teat. teat. <laughs> this devil's mark could supposedly change shape and color and was believed to be numb and insensitive to pain. So prosecutors might also search for the teat, um, which... They believed was an extra nipple allegedly used to suckle the witch's familiar. Obviously. Mm. Yeah. Weird how women's bodies work. (laughs) The amount of things that would pass as a devil's mark. And that's, no matter what they were looking for, that's how it was easy for them to make even the most minor physical imperfections a devil's It would be like... A freckle mm-hmm. on your arm. Moles, scars, birthmarks, sores, extra nipples, because they do exist. Um, examiners rarely came up empty-handed because of that. And in the midst of witch hunts, desperate villagers would sometimes um, burn or cut off any offending marks on their bodies, but would then have their wounds labeled as proof of a covenant with the devil. So you're fucked either way. Right. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of these things, you're just fucked either way. Yeah. Like, don't be heavier or lighter. Just don't. Don't be a be woman. <laughs> imperfect on your skin whatsoever. Yeah. Was this written by like Maybelline or something? <laughs> <laughs> you want to cover up that witch mark? Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's interesting is there are actually some sources that believe that the teat might actually have been the clitoris. 
And that's how every woman they could ensure had it. Because they did usually say it would be, like, on the inner thigh area. Wow. Yeah. The revenge on the clit. Yep. They probably didn't even know how to use it. They clearly didn't know where it was. What's that? Exactly. Those poor women back then. Jesus. Yeah. Well, so we know they would find the marks. But when in doubt, prick and scratch. Way number four. If witch hunter struggles to find obvious evidence of a mark, they might resort to pricking or scratching to make it come out because it can hide. Right? So... Um, because marks were insensitive to pain and couldn't bleed, examiners used specially designed needles to repeatedly stab and prick at the accused person's flesh until they discovered a spot that produced the desired results. Like, is that spot a drop of blood because you keep yeah, pricking them? probably. <laughs> um, in England oh and Scotland, the torture was eventually performed by well-paid professional prickers many of whom were actually con men who used dulled needlepoints to identify fake witches' marks. And I kind of get what we call men pricks now. Yep. Along mm-hmm. with pricking, the unfortunate suspect might also be subjected to scratching by their supposed victims. And this test was based on the notion that possessed people found relief by scratching the person responsible with their fingernails until they drew blood. If their symptoms improved after clawing at the accused skin, it was seen as partial evidence of guilt. Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally 100%. following. Very logical. Um, way number five is you observe them talking to themselves. Of which I would be so guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. So... If you see a woman talking to herself, fellas, she's a witch. Let the first person who's never talked to themselves be the first to cast a stone. (laughs) Like, what the hell? (laughs) So, during the Salem witch trials, one accused woman, Sarah Good, was condemned partially based on the fact that she was sometimes seen muttering to herself. And uh, sometimes this is when she left someone's house. That's like a basic human characteristic. Absolutely. I I think when they asked her about it, she was insisting that she was saying a prayer. Um, Or she was reciting commandments or something from the Bible, Mm. right? But doesn't matter. She was hanged. She's a witch. Um, Another way, number six, which you you do see in the movie The Witch, is you ask them to recite Mm -hmm. the Lord's Prayer. Ah, yes. So, um, witches are incapable of speaking scripture aloud. So they were made to recite selections right. from the Bible, usually the Lord's Prayer, without making mistakes or omissions. While it may have simply been a sign that sus- the suspected witch was illiterate or nervous, any errors were viewed as mm-hmm. proof that the speaker was in league with the devil. So, you know. Wow. That sucks for any person who's accused of being a witch and had a stutter exactly exactly (laughs) because i would so be like like so nervous because it's like life or death that's so unfair it's probably just death either way they'll find something else if you have pets that's true if you have more than one pet or you just simply say hello to the neighbor's cat surely you're using that animal as a familiar in fact, if a fly... So now we... 
Now he can't be loving to animals. (laughs) If a fly or rat entered a woman's cell while she was awaiting trial, it was assumed that the witch had used her powers to summon a familiar to do her bidding. So. I'm speechless. Number eight, throw her in the water. (laughs) Oh, this is my favorite one. So, drag your witch to the nearest body of water, strip her clothes off, Mm -hmm. bind, and then Mm -hmm. toss her in to see if she sinks or floats. Since witches Mm -hmm. are believed to have spurned the sacrament of baptism, um, the water should reject their body and prevent them from submerging. So if you're looking for a witch, she should float. Um, If if she sinks, well, she's innocent. And dies. So, (laughs) yeah. If she sinks, drowns, and dies, then she's innocent. If she floats... Then she's a witch and yeah, she dies. Pretty much. Um, <clears throat> and in other ways, just touch her. Touch just her. Touch her? The, the touch test. So it worked on the idea that victims of witchcraft would have a special reaction to physical contact with their evildoer. So if some if if you bewitched someone and that person came to touch you, you're fucked. So in cases where a possessed person fell into like a spell or a fit, or whatever, the suspected witch would be brought into the room and asked to lay a hand on them. A non-reaction signaled innocence, but if the victim came out of their fit, it was seen as proof that the suspect had placed them under a spell. And I guess it worked both ways. Hmm. Didn't matter. Okay. Um, Well, like, if that person who accused, like, oh, I've been bewitched by this person, they could just, like, fake it and act like... Yeah. Um, the final way, and I, I'm sure there were so many more, but this is the most common ways to, to check mm-hmm. if someone's a witch. Um, you make her chant incantations. So this test involved forcing the accused witch to verbally order the devil to let the possessed victim come out of their fit or trance. Other people would also... St- Um, utter the words to act as a control and judges would then gauge whether the statements had any effect on the victim's condition. So we we have some really solid methods here. Super Super solid. solid. So that's kind of like the history and like what we know happened with accused witches, but the stereotypes are what I like. And I, I don't know. So Old gross woman with hooked noses and crooked backs flying around and eating children while wearing cone-shaped hats. Kind of the gist, right? Thereabouts. So, knowing they were original healers, it's pretty clear their remedies were twisted into potions. So, witches, women, very much did have potions. Mm -hmm. They just didn't call them that. Cauldrons were just something you had back then. Their dark garb was symbolic of evil. Which kind of leads into the mm-hmm. whole dark versus light, black versus white thing in the witchy magical right. realm that I personally just, I don't really love. Um, but their overall fashion is very reminiscent of the Puritan era, where kind of the witch panic really climaxed. And that's where we get that picture from. <laughs> yes. A witchgasm, if a you witch-gasm. will. A witchgasm. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good name. I like that. Now, the brooms 
Despite being a common and necessary object in everyday houses, the church put the image out there. Speaking of witch gasms. (laughs) (laughs) So the church put the image out there of women flying around Mm -hmm. to torment others, right? Well, Uh um, there's a flying ointment that a witch would need to make to be able to fly. So mm-hmm. she would need now there actually are several recipes out there, but the most common one you'll come across is nightshade, devil's snare, black henbane, and mandrake. Now this is a recipe that exists on its own. And let me just say each of those ingredients are the most witchy sounding ingredients 100%. ever too. And I there mm-hmm. there is something to it, but um, the church eventually insisted that they also used fat from babies and I think like um, ash, a couple like weird random things, right? Um, right? So once she created this ointment, she needed to apply it to some say her whole body, but more specifically her glands. So like I think armpit, <clears throat> things like that. Mm-hmm. Lymphatic mm-hmm. system. Because um, you really mm-hmm. wanted your body to absorb it. Now, these yeah. th- these items are actually, like, you cannot ingest these. You'll die. It can only be yeah, topical. it can only be topical. Um, but, you know, you really want to get it there. So, s- supposedly, this is where the broom came in, according to the church, at least. <laughs> um, fun time with your ointment. Why not? Yes, um, the lymphatic system not only hangs out in your armpits, but further south. Further south. <laughs> so the ointment, the flying. The ointment, yes. So um, she put it up her cooch so she could fly, is what we were saying. So question, were they flying high or were they flying high? So <laughs> technically, I mean, the ointment... Didn't make anyone actually fly in real life, but um, it was highly were... hallucinogenic. So yeah, so they were high. <laughs> one might feel like they're flying <laughs> if they're covered in this. Um, so yeah. <laughs> there... Hmm. I wonder how healthy it was to have that ointment up in your coochie. It must have made a real intense. Oh trip. yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine. Like, damn, girl, that's commitment to the game. (laughs) So she get her ointment on herself, right? She's ready to fly, Mm -hmm. do the devil's bidding. (laughs) Right. But, like, this happens in the dark. Sounds like she's doing a lot of her own bidding, really. (laughs) Hey. So Mm. she's off to do this shit in the dark. But how is she supposed to see? Right. So... Right. That's where the broom comes in. So the depiction we know of of the broom is actually backwards. Mm-hmm. The frayed part of the broom was initially what? in the front so that you could place a candle on it that would light your way. That is wild. Right? That yeah. makes sense. But it 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 feels weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, like, just think, you know, you always think of it exactly. 
in today's days. Um, but yeah, okay. I was gonna. I didn't know you were where you were going with that with the light <laughs> and like. I'm like, did like, did it turn into a fat flashlight <laughs> mystically or? <laughs> nah, just room for a candle. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. So they've got their ointment in their room ready to fly. Um, but like, where did the hats come from? Right? So. Ah, oh, yes, the pointy hmm. hats. I always wondered that, like, so, yeah, tell me. I'm ready to learn. There's clearly in like fashion history, there were hats that were very mm-hmm. similar to what we know of today. Right. Um. That's what I assume that it came from some actual existing yeah. fashion. So that's that is definitely part of it. Um. M- modern, like I don't want to say modern, Wic- modern Wicca, because Wicca is modern, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. they claim that it, they are cones of power. But really, mm-hmm. hats were just stylish for centuries. Um, right. Why wouldn't you want a pointy right. hat? Well, this was, this was interesting to me because I did not know this. But did you know that in the Middle Ages, Jewish people had to wear hats to identify themselves as such? Because I had no idea. It's very, yeah. And then they also have, I, Yamaka. Oh God, I have, yep. Yamaka. yes. Well, Back in the that. Middle Ages, they had something called a Judenhut, which was a oh. conical and yellow, and it was worn um, as yellow. just like a fashion thing. A yeah, piece. But then the Catholic Church decided that, like witches, Jewish people were dangerous too, and they were forced to wear the hats to identify themselves. Sometimes historical Christians are the dumbest people because they understand that they're worshiping a Jew, right? I don't think they do. <laughs> I don't think they do. They're worshiping a brown man. Oh, he wasn't who brown. Was Jewish. He was white. <laughs> Look at their pictures. <laughs> Look, the picture says that baby Jesus was white and blonde. <laughs> or sandy colored hair at he most. He was like a dirty blonde, but oh we don't call God. it dirty. So, yeah, oh they they accused Jewish people of murdering <laughs> and devouring children, um, as well as taking part in satanic Jesus. rituals. So, to drive their point home, if you can actually look at art from the Middle Ages and see images of people in these yellow hats eating babies. Yeah. God. So, um, they're That's actually, horrible. if you look up Juden hat. It's J-U-D-E-N-H-U-T. They're very interesting hats. But this all happened so, around okay. the same time as... I'm going to look it up right <laughs> now. Hold on. How do you spell J-U-D-E-N-H-U-T. it again? J-U-D-E-N-H-U-T. Images. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What? It looks like a funnel yeah. on their head. It's like a yellow upside down funnel on yeah. their head. But, yeah, these these hats and having to wear them came around the same time as, you know, accusing women of being witches. So a lot of people think that this just kind of went hand in hand. And then Hollywood came in and made The Wizard of Oz. And they were like, that looks cool. <laughs> oh, my God. Huh. Oh, OK, I'm starting to see now some of the the med- medieval paintings yeah. and art and stuff depicting these hats 
And they all wore them? They had to. Man. All right. Wow. I'm still just in shock. Move on. So now I'm moving on to... um, I love this one. So finally, men had to make sure that women were seen as being super ugly. They were people... They gave up their... Everything good and beautiful about them for the devil. Right, because beautiful women cannot be with the devil because, yes, that makes sense. Right. Driving this point home. Mm -hmm. But there's (laughs) actually another purported reason why we have these depictions of women with crooked noses and warts and bent backs. And her name was Ursula Southiel or Mother Shipton. Okay. I've never heard of this. She, I love it. I love it. <laughs> she was born in 1488, and legend has it that she was born during a violent thunderstorm in a cave on the banks of the River Nid in Knaresborough, England. Fuck yeah, that's a badass birth. Right? Her mother, Agatha, was only 15 when she gave birth, and despite being dragged before the local magistrate, she never revealed who the father was. Oh, so she Never was knew. um out of wedlock, I guess. She was a mm-hmm. bastard child. With no family and no friends to support her, Agatha oh. raised Ursula in the cave of on her own for two years before the abbot of Beverly took pity on them and hooked them up with the local family who raised Ursula. Agatha, unfortunately, was taken to a nunnery far away where she died some years later and she never saw her daughter again. That's so sad. I know. Ursula was later raised by another abbot and became a highly promising student. But because of her looks, which consisted of a crooked nose, pointy chin, bent spine, and twisted leg, bullying would ultimately lead her back to the cave that was her childhood home. She spent most of her days there and studied the forest, the flowers, herbs, and made remedies and potions with them. She also displayed the ability of foresight. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Nice. At the age of 24, she married local carpenter Thomas Shipton and had many children. It's speculated that the man was ashamed of her physical appearance and declared she had bewitched him into the production of Aww. their offspring. Aww. Yeah. Goddamn, Ursula can't catch a break. I know. Following his death a mere two years later... Which I still find that weird. I tried to find out how many children she did have. Right. How, can, <laughs> how they, many can you have in so two many. years? Um, either way, Ursula became locally recognized as the witch that lived in the magical cave. Mm. She, so becoming a local legend for her academia and foresight, many would travel to meet Ursula to hear their fortunes and predictions of the future. She would foresee carts of no horse drawn. Ships of iron that floated like wood, the plague of the Black Death, and also the Great Fire of London. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. I just got chills. (laughs) I know. Wow. Her predictions would earn her royal recognition to which she foresaw her own death of being burned on a pyre in the city of York. Wow. Her passing would come in 1561 at the age of 73. At an almost unnaturally long life for that era. For, yeah, for that time, that's like fucking old. Yeah. 
During her twilight years, Mother Shipton's legend became nationwide. The old hag that lived in the magical cave, whose image became synonymous with witchcraft, that over time became the reference for future witches. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, this cave, you can go visit it. Like, it's a tourist attraction and has been so since, I can't remember the exact year, but the 1600s. When we get 5,000 patron members, (laughs) we're going to buy tickets to England and we're going to visit this cave. (laughs) It's so beautiful. Have you seen pictures of it or have you been there? Yeah. And I wish I had been there. Um, There's a website for, like, the the attraction aspect of it where you can go. And it's not expensive. If you live there, I think, like, you can drive, at least right now with COVID, I don't know what it's like without COVID, but you can drive through, like, the park that it's in and visit Mm -hmm. the cave or you can walk there. But it's, like, at most 30 pounds to go visit. Okay. So it's. I don't know what that translates to dollars, but I will pay anything. Not much more. (laughs) Yeah. So twisted over the years to enforce a sense of evil, the green skin, the crooked hat, the superstitious black hat, it's all her likeness. Right. And it's become the most recognized in history. Um, So in summary, we can thank the church and men for what we know of witches today and for the stereotypes we fight against or what we choose to embrace. Because a lot of witches do. Taking back their power. But... Mother Shipton, um, I really, I feel like everyone should look up the, uh, the attraction, which let me actually see what the website's called. We'll link it in our notes. Yeah. Our episode notes. It's, it's so beautiful. And actually they, um, there's a well there. That they also claim is enchanted. Ooh. Oh, Mother Shipton's Cave. As 4.2 yeah. stars on Google. Yep. <laughs> In Knaresborough, England. Yep. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Are you, if there's any UK folks, I apologize. You guys choose well, to you're not pronounce a lot of consonants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, it is beautiful. Oh, my God. It's absolutely gorgeous. Wow. There's this random fossilized bike. (laughs) Very magical. She's like, and she's like famous in that area. There's like pubs named after her. Um, She, a lot of people use like um, her effigy or like a statue of her Mm -hmm. as like part of their business. Um, wow. There's like two pubs named after her. Nice. In that yeah. area. Um, there's there's a lot of info on her, and I actually debated like talking about just her or mm-hmm. witches in general. And I kind of thought, well, it's spooky month, so we'll do witches in general. And We're going to have like, to do, I would love an episode on like just her. Like I know we I, did like a l- quick, quick summary, but that would be fucking awesome. Yeah. Because I am low-key in love with her right now. um also i don't know if you've ever read uh good omens the book good omens oh yeah um i think the like the original witch that wrote the all the book of prophecies was based on 
Mother Shipton. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. A lot of, um, like, I read something that just basically said a lot of publications have been based on her. I love how we don't talk about this woman who made amazing prophecies, but we can't shut up about this guy named Nostradamus. I know he made some prophecies, too. Oh, yeah. He's not as interesting um, as this girl. (laughs) uh, Is it Baba Venta? Baba Vanga? Oh, I never heard of that one. A Bulgarian? Yeah, she was a, a woman who predicted a lot of things. I think she had, like, a... 80% 80% like accuracy score yeah <laughs> yeah it's so interesting all these these people who have foretold like big events that have happened and obviously not all of it is exact but it's also they're getting it through their own lens of what they know right it's really and fun to however like however it comes through yeah read like the thing where it's like the how did she describe airplanes like iron iron ships iron i think she ships, was seeing like, like boats but like it was iron ships that floated like wood oh for some reason when she said iron ships i thought i was thinking of like airplanes, airplanes. or something i mean fuck maybe that is what she saw but that's just how she worded it because she didn't know how else you know to say it Hmm. but yeah the the cart drawn without a horse and mm-hmm. all yeah. of that she i don't. I wonder I don't when she had that vision like was it like a toyota commercial that she saw in her vision <laughs> right <laughs> like whose car did she see there's so many nowadays <laughs> like did she just get like a t- or like a ford <laughs> i don't know <laughs> it is interesting like because i <laughs> i know like for me and then other people i talk to that get like visions you know, however they're going about it, mm-hmm. how how they get them and how they're represented. Because a lot of times it's just, it's metaphorical, not literal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. So, right. Some people see like literal like events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's a mix too. So it's hard to say like, I'm getting this, but I don't know if it's exactly this or if it's just... Mm. some something similar yeah you know Mm -hmm. i will i i will write i will start doing more research on her and put together something for a future episode that'd be so fun she's so cool she has a moth named after her a moth like a species Mm -hmm. of a species a mother shipped in moth with hag-like markings on its wings Oh, isn't very nice, but it That's has like what nice. looks like a, a bigger nose and then like a chin. <laughs> so anyway, I kind of feel like on one hand, some some modern witches don't like the depiction of witches mm-hmm. that are seen like in Halloween costumes and whatnot. But I feel like at the same time, knowing about Mother Shipton in a way, I feel like it's kind of makes call it yourself cool. her. Yeah, because she's such a badass. Like that's, it's kind of cool that that's the image that we think of when we just think of the all-encompassing wish. Which, yeah, awesome. Oh, I love this episode so much. Um, oh yeah, this was fun. I I wanted to cover more on the witches, but I I had like twenty pages of notes, and then I'm like, holy well, shit! 
I need You're to... definitely like our history buff of the podcast. <laughs> well, it's I think sometimes it just ends up being history. Mm-hmm. That I find. But like um I will plug a couple books that if you are interested in more history on witches, but also um like fiction. Mm-hmm. Um there's the Physic Book of Deliverance Dane is a really good one. It's written by a woman who she like has a degree in colonial witchcraft. Oh shit. Like like it's exactly her what she's studied. She's a descendant mm-hmm. of two women that were in the Salem witch trials. One oh, that wow. was killed and one that wasn't. But her book mixes like a shit ton of history and fact with just a very cool witchy story. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And it has a sequel, but I would say read the first one if you're able to. Um, the book that I have uh, that kind of goes through like the history of witches and it's written. What I love about it is it's written very um, comically. Like it's, she's <laughs> talking about history, but she's saying it in a very humorous way. And she also, like, writes it in a way where, like, where you're taking a broomstick tour through history. Oh, And it's cool. literally called American Witches, colon, a broomstick tour through four centuries. And it's by Susan Fair. You can get, get that on Amazon. It's so funny. And it's very good, too. And it's not too much of a dense read, either. Like, it's a very yeah. nice, um, quick read. Wow, guys. Well, you, in this uh, month of October 2020, will be... Learning more and more about the history of witches. So we'll have the Salem Witch Trials episode next. So we'll actually, I guess, do kind of a back-to-back of yeah. the spooky episodes. Like, yeah. I think all of our topics are kind of, like, spooky-ish. But, um, yeah. yeah, this month will be unique where next week will be more or less a spooky episode. We'll cover the witch, the Salem Witch Trials, both the true crime aspect as well as the paranormal aspect of it Mm -hmm. so yeah so make sure to listen and tune in then on next week on wednesday um we never introduced ourselves but i am maria (laughs) (laughs) i'm laura (laughs) and you've been listening to the new witches Uh, if you'd like to follow us on social media you can follow us at the new witches on twitter and instagram um find us on facebook the new witches podcast and this show is brought to you by us and our Small but mighty Patreon following. Um, Patreon subscribers, we love you so much. And we do give our Patreon subscribers uh, exclusive benefits. Um, we're also coming up with some fun new tiers as well that um, mm-hmm. Laura, Miss Laura here has been spearheading. Um, and yeah, so if you'd like to support the show, um, we really appreciate it. It does help us, you know, not only improve the quality like the sound quality the technical stuff of the show that we give you but also helps us create the content that you guys love so much um and you can find us on patreon.com slash the new witches um next week along with our um spooky episode we also kind of have back-to-back days of episodes because we have our listeners episode coming out on uh the 13th and we do those every 13th of the month. So please submit your spooky, witchy, paranormal, true crime, UFO, just overall weird story. Or if you have a question for us, I haven't thought of saying this, but if you just have a question for oh, yeah. us, generally speaking, you don't necessarily have a story. 
like, please send it in. Um, we'll read it out loud. If you have a question, we'll answer it to the best of our ability. Um, so we def- definitely have fun hearing from our listeners and sharing your stories on the podcast uh, to submit your story. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, you can go to our link in bio. Um, you can go to our website, thenewwitches.com. On our contact page, we have a submission form. Or if you just like doing it directly through email, if that's you know, more your jam, you can email us directly at thenewwitches at gmail.com. That's the show. Thank you so much, guys. Stay witchy. Keep it creepy. And see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.